Hey, Prime members, did you know you could be listening to this episode ad-free on Amazon Music? With Amazon Music, you get access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, including all your favorite ESPN podcasts. Avoid the ads and start listening today. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's Friday morning in Los Angeles. The playoffs are in full swing. Everybody is getting hit in the groin in every series. All sorts of stuff is happening. The Warriors are back. Nick Nurse is out. The Sixers are a win away. The Clippers don't have Kawhi Leonard all of a sudden, which is just a devastating blow. The Suns are up 2-1. There is a lot happening. Kurt Goldsberry, how are you? I'm great. I love this time of year, Zach, and I hope I can help your audience understand what's happening in these first few playoff games with a little detailed groin analytics. So I, I brought some stuff. I know we'll get to it later, but uh, it's great to see you. This is the best time of year. Let's not forget it. It's a lot. It's a lot. The first <laughs> round is a lot because I watch lot. every game. Start to garbage time. Every game I'm taking notes. I got a lot going on, but you know what? That's the fun of it. And you just never, the thing about it is you just never know. You never know. The plot twists that are going to come right as soon as you think, here comes a, a simple, basic sixer sweep. Uh, Joel Embiid kicks uh, Nick Claxton in the nether regions or the border of the nether regions, which may be an important distinction that it didn't quite get the regions. It got the surrounding regions. And then James Harden with a little, a little flickety flick, a little flickety flick, and he's out of the game. And, you know, you want to punt. You think, oh, I could, you know, Bucks Heat, that's going to be a walkover. Giannis goes, sir, you never know. Let's talk about the Warriors, uh, who without Draymond Green, uh, just there's nothing I like more in sports, Kirk, than an old lion refusing to go gently into that good night. And the Warriors without their lion, their roaring lion, the guy who roars the most anyway, just came out in an absolute frenzy in game three at home, defended and rebounded with a ferocity that they had not been doing so far in the series with a relatively comfortable win over the Sacramento Kings to to go within 2-1, keep it on track for home court. And all of a sudden, this is what happens in these playoffs. The home team wins the first two games, and people trick themselves into thinking, oh, my God, it's horrible, this series is over. And it's like, no, if the, if the lower-seeded team wins game three, all of a sudden it's like, uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh, what did you see from Golden State last night that might carry over? Obviously, game four will be different. Draymond will be back. Yeah, the the same thing. By the way, I think you're going to love that Isaiah not shaking hands moment, which is probably the seminal NBA moment of an old guard team not, not accepting defeat. I have uh, said before on this podcast that against my better human judgment, I understand what rudeness and impoliteness is. 11-year-old me loved it when the Pistons <laughs> walked off the floor. I was like, that is some badass. Like, we don't even care. We don't care how it looks. We are the bad boys. Bad boys, of course, back in the news this week with one bad boy suspending uh, oh, Draymond right. Green uh, in part anyway. Okay, what did you see from the Warriors? Yeah, uh, what did I see? I saw defensive life, and I saw sort of an extension of a theme, I would say, Zach, that – this team is really hard to understand, or it isn't. And what I mean by that is like they suck on the road and they're good at home. They lose on the road and they win at home. But the reason they won game three, I think, was defensive uh, life. They were swarming and, and playing classic Warriors defense, forcing turnovers, scoring in transition. But the thing I would say to my Kings friends is 
they missed a ton of open shots. And one of the, defin- the definitive stats for me came, came from our researcher, Matt Williams, who, who said they shot six for 27 on wide open three-pointers, which is uh, when the closest defender is six plus feet away. That's 22%. That's their second worst deal, three-point percentage on wide open threes um, out of 44 times. They've had 20 of them. The only game worse was game two. So one theme of the last two games is Sacramento has had more chances to score a lot of points. And that low number we saw last night, the nerds might chalk it up to a little bit of shooting luck. Uh, the hot take artists might chalk it up to not being clutch on the road, not being ready for the moment. Whatever it was, Sacramento had good looks, and they just didn't make them. If they did, we're, t- we're talking about a different story today. But that's the breaks when you shoot a lot of threes. Yeah, the Warriors are treating Monk and Herter with a different level of urgency than they're treating the other shooters. Even Harrison Barnes, their old friend, who seems really amped up for this series. Oh, yeah. And he's got, he's got clay on him a lot. Even had Steph on him on some cross matches because – the Warriors are putting Wiggins on Fox, especially with GP2 out last night. We didn't even mention yeah. GP2 was also out. And he's, like, relishing Harrison Barnes as the chance to bully those guys a little bit. But they're okay with him shooting above-the-break threes. They're, like, shooting the gap on pin-down actions for him. They're kind of sloughing away from him at the nail. Terrence Davis, they didn't care about him shooting threes at all. Fox, they're mixing in some going-under screens against him a little bit. Um, so those guys are going to have to make more shots. Keegan Murray has been a ghost in this series, which is very, like, he's a rookie. I said in previewing the series with David Thorpe, I can see a scenario where his minutes start sliding to Davion Mitchell or Malik Monk, and that's exactly what's happened, but he's going to have to show up. And, boy, they hunted him on defense, too, last night. Steph was searching him out every possession. By the way, just you just take it for granted, like, Oh, yeah, of course Steph showed up with just like a ho-hum 35-point whatever game <laughs> when the, when their backs are against the wall and Draymond's not playing. You just Don't take it for granted, man. The dude showed up. Clay hasn't had a big game yet. I thought maybe mm-hmm. Clay would have one of the Clay games last night. That's coming. That would scare me if I were a Kings fan. The Clay game is coming. Um, but, Great call. But it was like a Joe Lacob dream last night with the two timelines coming together. I think probably the most consequential Moses Moody game ever for the Warriors. Just massive minutes from him. Kaminga came in and after a shaky start, played really, really well. Had a couple of challenges at the rim. And DiVincenzo, he's not part of the two-timeline thing. I got tired just watching him fly around the floor, throwing himself into rebounding scrums, getting steals, getting deflections. I, I, it was a really just all-out urgent effort, which is frankly what you what you would expect for, from a champion with its backs against the wall. Now they get Draymond back, and I, I assume they're going to start the same starting lineup they've used all season when healthy. Um, we'll, we'll see what other tweaks they think they've discovered in this game going forward, though. But great effort by the Dubs. Yeah, and I think this series, like you said, I love that point right off the top. Every year in the first round, we sort of forget the cadence and these, these these premature narratives sort of win over this first weekend. But this this could go seven games. Uh, the Warriors could win four in a row. I do think you hit it right off the top. Without Draymond Green, without Gary Payton, they had their best defensive performance. Uh, and they held the Kings to 97 points. And I already said that the Kings probably should have had more points and missed some threes. But now those guys come back. And if it's two to two, Zach, all of us, I don't remember who you picked in this series. I picked the Warriors in seven. Uh, six, but if Warriors in six for me. Yeah. So it, both of those are still in play. But if it's two to two, like I, 
I'll put my hand up. I thought my prediction looked like trash uh, uh, 36 hours ago. I was like, I can't believe I did this. I was felt, but now here we go. And if game four goes like this, uh, I really think the Warriors will have the upper hand because that championship experience, the the coaching, um, the the tactics, and the feel for those big moments all points to the Warriors if they can win game four. Uh, I thought again, I thought I thought Steve Kerr coach and his staff coached a really good game last night. Um, I thought you know when the Warriors get stressed out, they tend to lean more into Steph Curry pick and rolls, just do spam that, and without Draymond. That was going to be harder. Draymond's his go-to screener. And, in fact, they didn't do that. Steph ran 28 pick-and-rolls last night, which is like an average above average, slightly above average amount for him in a game, and probably average or below in a, in a heavy minutes game. And they just kind of varied it up. They ran the clay pin-down game. They isolated a little bit, like I mentioned before. They had DiVincenzo kind of run into some pick-and-rolls or someone would throw him the ball as he was curling around a screen. That worked out really well. They altered Steph's um, substitution pattern a little bit to get him with the second unit, which I liked and a lineup. I'm keeping my eye on for game four. I mentioned it before Draymond suspension, Steph, DiVincenzo, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, which barely played at all in the regular season. And given the Warriors search for balance and spacing and lineups that can space the floor and have only one non-shooter, but can also hold up defensively. That's a group I like, and it's a group I'm keeping my eye on. Game four is going to be awesome. I love a game four. I love a good game four. It sets the tenor for the entire series. Like, either it's going to be, okay, the Warriors need a massive comeback. This might be over. Or, you know, get the cowbells or the cowbell apps on your phone ready, and Sacramento's going to be crazy. And uh, and the Kings all of a sudden have to deal with some pressure now, which is a great, which is a great theater. Yeah, and Dante, you know, led the team in assists last night. Uh, I think he was second in rebounds, uh, doing the dirty work. And so I think he deserves the 26 minutes he got. He's been one of the better uh, bench options for Steve Kerr. Uh, certainly was last night, so I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Moses Moody, you mentioned, played one Massive. of the better games he's had. Game six, Clay. I like that prognostication, too. There will be Thompson. There will be Thompson, and it, we don't know when and we don't know where, but that that three-point makes column, there will be one of those that has five, seven, nine, some crooked number that just puts them over the top, uh, and that hasn't happened. Like, to your point, I love that as well. That could be a game four thing. I like game five because you get that cliche stat at the beginning of game five. It's two to two. So many teams, this percentage of teams who win this, I love that. Give me game five. I hate five. that stat. That's, that's the same for every game. Here's the stat. Whatever team wins any game is more likely to win the whole series. Do you know? I here's one for you, Kirk. Here, I I looked this up. I looked this up. Teams that win Game Seven of a seven-game series, a hundred percent of the time, go on to win the series. It's really yeah. remarkable. It is the. It's one of those dumb opening producer stats, Tim Gorgon. If you're listening, yeah, I, I hate that stat. I hope that came through. But yeah, that that's that. I don't know what it is, but we'll see it a bunch this postseason. It is like 79 percent of the time, the team that wins this game goes on to win the series. But um, anyway, yeah, I think my bottom line with the Golden State Warriors, Zach Lowe, is is the same it was coming into this playoff. This team has tr trouble with defense and depth. That, that trouble sort of manifests at most on the road. That's that's played out so far in this series. The depth looked better at home. The defense looked better at home. Let's see if they can do it again in game four. And then things get real fun going back to sack uh, for what would be an incredible game five. Any Kings 
thoughts, adjustments, tweaks? Dude, like I said, I, I, I think I'm feeling good. I feel like the coach of the year, Mike Brown, congrats to my friend Mike Brown, well-deserved. But when I look at these numbers and I look at the tape of Kevin Herter's shots, Keegan Murray's shots, Malik Monk shots, Davion Mitchell shots last night, and together I'm going to do the quick math. They were like three of 20 from three or something. That's that's not good. That's like a, a shot luck loss, as the nerds would say, uh, a shot quality loss or whatever. Uh, I don't feel they need to change much. They look like the better team in the series so far, and I would not overreact to what we just saw with one of their worst shooting nights uh, of the season. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm happy with where they are if I'm them, um, despite what happened uh, last night. Warriors are actually plus six overall for the series and scoring margin. Now, it's been a very even series. Um, they're just going to need Herder to make shots. I mean, Herder is getting good looks from three and missing them, he's making his shots from two. They're going to need a bigger game from Sabonis at some point. And I realize that the Warriors have two incredible post defenders and rebounders in Draymond and Looney. And my God, I smacked the table like Windhorst. I got to work on my Windhorst hand gestures. Like one of these, like these. Um, He's got them all, yeah. We went 12 minutes or something without talking about Kevon Looney. And I think he had nine points, nine assists, and 20 rebounds last night. Nine assists and 20 rebounds. Yeah. And I wrote this about Looney a few weeks ago in, in 10 Things column. First, early in his career, he was the guy who never played. He had hip issues, leg issues, nerve issues. It looked like, like this, is this guy just going to be a lost cause health-wise, sadly? Then he comes back, and he's an Ironman. He plays 82 games now, two years in a row. And he was kind of like a central casting unsung hero. He just does the dirty work. He knows his role, the stars. The stars do their thing, and he sets the screens and gets the rebounds and hits people. He's the cliche, doesn't show up in the box score guy. You know what happened this year? Started to show up in the box score. He's one of the best offensive rebounders in the NBA. He's routinely getting like five and six assists in in games. Just They are not dead in the water, but treading water and and struggling without Kevon Looney this year. It's, It's an awesome, awesome story. For a career that looked like it might fall apart early, and now he is like not almost as much a part of the Warriors DNA as the foundational stars. Yeah, I remember always game planning against the Warriors and looking at their rotations. And Vaughn would always start the game and often play just five minutes and then sit the rest of the half and then repeat that in the third quarter. His minutes were never that high. I was just looking it up, Zach, last night. I don't know if it's his career playoff. I'm guessing not. I'm just looking at the top of my head. They played like 30 minutes last night. Uh, That's not what we normally would expect. But next man up, do your job, all that Belichick stuff. Uh, He did it. And and you're right to call him out. Uh, They needed him to be better than just the sort of second big. He was the primary big for that team last night and and was great. And then that sort of promoted role. Um. The Kings have largely defended really well in the series. Uh, they slipped a little bit last night, but not not disastrously so. They were still pretty good. A few more mistakes here and there, but it, I thought they've been fine defensively. I do wonder if they will just start Monk over Murray at some point in the series, given how things are going. But um, I, I don't see... I, I, I might let Fox just go one-on-one a little bit and see if he can do damage that way with Wiggins or maybe, maybe go the other way sometimes and see if they can switch him onto a, a worse defender and then go one-on-one kind of like the, the Warriors were doing against Keegan Murray. But, um, and the Kings have been doing that against Jordan Poole, who doesn't look quite healthy, but I think this is going to be a great series. Uh, and game four is going to be 
a great game. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Let's pivot east. You ready to pivot east to the groin fest? Groinalytics. The Philadelphia 76ers uh, up 3-0 over the Brooklyn Nets, so we can pretty much write this one off. Uh, no one has ever done this comeback before, obviously. And Tyrese Maxey carried him over the finish line last night with one massive shot after another. And Joel Embiid, who uh, limped and hit the floor nine times in the game, Sealed it with a fantastic sprinting block on Spencer Dinwiddie. Mm. Um, Embiid's defense this entire series has been impenetrable. I mean, he has the Nets completely freaked out. Anytime any of them get below the foul line, they don't know what to do. He's there. He's controlling the whole painted area. Um, However, the story of the game is the respect of groinings. Um, Joel Embiid with Nick Claxton stepping over him. And look, people know... The step over is a thing. When players do it, they know what they are doing. They know it's a taunt. They know it's considered by some players emasculating. They know it is likely from a fiery personality to draw a response that may teeter towards violence. Well, three minutes into the game, that's exactly what happened. Nick Claxton, who just appears to straight up hate Joel Embiid. <laughs> like, <laughs> Nick Claxton, by the way, no one's going to talk about this, got his ass thrown out of the game in a must-win game for mean-mugging Embiid for like nine straight seconds to the point that the referees had no choice but to tee him up, and he already had one technical. One of the dumbest all-time ejections in a must-win playoff game that I could not that the must-win. It's not like the Nets are doing anything, but they had to win the game if they had any hope. Um, And Embiid kicked up and hit Nick Claxton in, he might have missed by four inches, into the thigh area, the thigh area. It, the thigh-ish area. Yeah. I don't know what mm-hmm. the medical term for the non-junk, as Charles Barkley said, groin is. Maybe just groin. Um, and was assessed a flagrant foul, but not ejected. Uh, let's start there. I have reached the point where I just don't know what merits an ejection and what doesn't merit an ejection anymore. 
the NBA is there. Monty McCutcheon's coming on NBA today shortly, and he's going to talk about unnecessary and excessive. And from what I understand, excessive can be linked to the result. So if that kick with the same level of power and speed hits the you-know-whats, it's excessive. Because it missed the you-know-whats, it's not excessive. And I guess that makes some logical sense. There are parallels to that in the criminal justice system. But I honestly thought Joel Embiid should have got ejected. Um, there have there have been ejections for groin hits before. I remember all the way back to when Ray Allen uppercutted Anderson Varejao in the playoffs and got suspended for a game. Um, the league will look at this. It's 10 o'clock Pacific time. I don't think any news has come across yet. I don't think Joel Embiid is going to be suspended for game four. My guess is that it stays as is. We shall see. Um, did you think he should have been ejected? I kind of thought they were going to eject him, and I would have been okay with Joel being ejected for that. Uh, I have a sort of different spin on this, and to put it in the, a parlance of our times uh, of podcasting, use the promo code RISKYAF if you lose your cool and lash out like this, because now you're gambling. You're gambling with your eligibility in these games. Uh, there's no rubric here, as you pointed out. And there never will be a set of bylaws that sort of perfectly portends what even these go, reps... Even going back to Draymond, which I think changed no. the way they legislate this. Draymond kicked Steven Adams in the groin two separate times in that series. Did <laughs> not get ejected for either one, I don't think. And did not get suspended for sure for either one. And now they take it more seriously because of that. But it's like, I don't know what the hell to do with all these precedents. I don't know what I don't know if the playoffs should have a higher standard for ejection and suspension. At least suspension than the regular season. I, I just... I'm beginning last night when when Embiid did not get ejected and Harden did, which to me was astonishing. I couldn't believe they ejected Harden. Yes, I began right. I, I said to myself, I, is this what NFL writers and analysts started to feel like when they no longer understood what the definition of a catch was? Like that I don't, was in I don't my know. notes. That was in my notes. I had that exact analogy because it's like, dude, these are so important. It's so fundamental. Uh, but dude. I had that exact thing. My my point here is I don't know. Like I don't know what the rule is. My point is that if you mess around with this unsportsmanlike conduct in front of Tony Brothers or Scott Foster, God knows what's about to happen to you. And so I think the best policy, easier said than done in the heat of the moment, is to keep your together, to keep your cool. Uh, I mean, put my Spurs hat on, be like Tim Duncan. Don't lose it, man. Uh, and it's to it's to me like, and I'll put Embiid in this camp, and I'll put Draymond in this camp, and Pat Bev. It's always the same dudes. There's an illustration in my book of Draymond kicking Stephen Adams uh, in in the groin uh, because it was such an important moment. Uh, it, it sort of encapsulated that. Here we are talking about it five years later again. Um, I think the thing I would say is that when you visit these sort of border towns of sportsmanlike or unsportsmanlike behavior, now you're tempting the sheriffs to do something to you. And that's putting you and your team in a really bad position. And I think the Claxton example you brought up is a perfect one. Uh, you can't do that. It's not worth that. Uh, the step over, I don't care. Like JJ Reddick, if you want to take a hard stance on what should and should be, that's fine. What did Jay, what did I, JJ say? 
JJ, I think, argued that Draymond shouldn't have been ejected. And again, I don't know what the oh, bylaws. Draymond, the Draymond should have been. There's, a, I, I totally disagree. Draymond, one hundred percent, should have been tossed from the game. I, I, I people I actually, think Sabonis should be, and I'm just like, what are the rubrics? Enjoy Monty McCutcheon and ask him what the rubric is. Well, ask him what these unnecessary. And what's the other word? Exaggerated. Excessive. Uh, excessive. Yeah, yeah. F- figure that out for me and ask him where he gets his bow ties. So again, it's ten twenty four a.m. Pacific. Here's my guess, my educated guess, and we can grade my educated guess whether it's good or bad in a few hours. I think Embiid is not suspended for game four. Surely the Nets will argue that he should be. We'll see what happens. I don't think he will be. We could could be wrong. I Like 80-20 would, would right, put my maybe. confidence level on that. Yeah. And I don't think I, – I actually also don't think Harden's flagrant two will be rescinded. I, I, or downgraded, rather. Down, they could downgrade it to a flagrant one, which has all sorts of like flagrant points, the Draymond Green Memorial flagrant points rule uh, implications for the Sixers as they move forward here, which they will. They're going to win the series. I, my guess is everything will just stay the same. Everybody will move on from it. The NBA will send out a red alert. Please stop kicking and hitting and flicking in the groinal area. Let's just not do it anymore and move on from there. I do have one one point. I would love to ask Zach Lowe this for your listeners. Uh, if I stopped both of these plays and I said one of these is going to get this player ejected. The, the oh, Embiid. Laying up, yeah. That's my problem. It's like, okay, everybody would say that. But you're telling me James at least has plausible deniability on that play. I'm not saying – I don't know what his intent was. But, dude, that's what the flagrant one is for. It's like, hey, man, never do that. Don't do that. Here's an extra punitive – I'll, t- I'll tell you this. I was wa- I was in my hotel room watching the game live last night, and I my initial reaction was I've, I sat back from the and said, oh, my God, he's going to get ejected, and the Nets are going to win this game, and all of a sudden this series is like at least a little bit sideways, and then he didn't get ejected, and the Sixers won the game, and the series is over. So here's my Sixers question. 3-0 Sixers. This has been a goofy series with the Nets doubling Embiid all over the floor every single game on the catch, before the catch, um, sometimes playing with no big man on the floor. They've they've largely mothballed Sharp after the after game one. Um, and Embiid, uh, through three games, has 60 points, so 20 a game, 15 turnovers, five a game, and 12 assists, and only 24 free throws, uh, which for him is low in three games. The Sixers um, have, uh, who were the most prolific free throw generating team in the league in the regular season, have a free throw rate in this series that would have ranked dead last in the regular season. So this scheme, by taking the ball out of Embiid's hands, has reduced the Sixers from the most prolific free throw team to the least prolific free throw team. Um, And yet their offensive rating for the series is 117 points per 100 possessions, which would have been number two or number three in the league. A lot of that was built up in the first game when they shot the bejesus out of it from three. They've been a little scattershot in the next two. So here's my question. Sixers confidence level higher after three games than it was entering the playoffs or lower after three games than it was entering the playoffs. I'll answer higher, but let me riff on it. Um, I think this first three games, obviously can't complain uh, in a series they need to get through, but this playoffs uh, Zach from the dime, the bracket sort of started to take shape was always about round two for this team. So it's, 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 it's cool after three games. I love what I've seen from Maxi. In general, what makes me excited about Philly uh, going into round two, assuming they get there, is it's what's coming around the edges of the Harden and B industrial complex. Obviously, Maxi 
was the best player in crunch time last night. Um, Tobias Harris is one of the best fourth options in these playoffs. PJ Tucker looks mean and and relevant again. Uh, and then I well, think it'd be nice de- if PJ Tucker would would shoot. I, he had one good shooting game in the series. He's last a rebounder, night, but he's an incredible rebounder for a team that is a bad rebounding team and really needs that from him. And they last should night, make, yeah. No, last right. night he looked like he didn't even want to shoot. Like he stopped even looking at the basket. Yeah, and and I'll come back to that. I I think the deep cut, the the low post kind of take here is that the Melton and McDaniel's minutes. There's not a lot of teams that have that right now. We're going to talk about some of them that don't. We already talked about the Warriors. Like these dudes, McDaniel's have been a nice pickup. Two second rounders. They look like gems. My main point with the Sixers, what I've seen here in round one, Zach, is uh, the 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 depth looks pretty good. Now here's the here's the negative thing. Let me let me throw this out there. I think, like you said, the Nets game plan is working. Imagine it in better hands. Imagine our friends Joe Mazzulla and Ben Sullivan watching this and be like, oh. Oh, oh, I see this. But now the defensive personnel is a little bit better. Now the offensive personnel is a little bit better. I think they've taken Joel Embiid, the scoring champ, and he shot 11 times in game two, 13 times in game three. I believe James Harden is three free throws for the series. Um, I think there's a blueprint here that if I'm, again, my opponent in round two that has a better cachet, of offensive and defensive weapons, I'd be really interested in, in knowing what the Celtics are thinking when they're watching this series play out. Well, the Celtics have to get by the Hawks first, Kirk. Okay, <laughs> Dude, you not... killed you killed Trey Young, and you, by when you go call and coward, that's what I call it when you do solo. It's great, and it's great. I mean, you should do it more. That was well, really like, good. Show up, to, show, show up tonight, Hawks. Okay, show up tonight. You got you got ninety minutes. The stage is yours. There's no games on for the first ninety minutes of your. You got a half a basketball to show the world. It's probably on. Is it on NBA TV? The oh, Hawks God. are like the NBA TV, the kings of the NBA TV playoff series. Um, Sixers. My own answer to my question is: I'm probably like eight percent less confident than I was oh. going into the series, and there's only one reason why. James Harden is seven of twenty-one on twos. And has three free throws. And until just before the flicking last night, could not get by anybody one-on-one. And even when he did, he was missing. He missed like a wide-open layup going right in the first half of the game. But before he went out, he had a couple blow-bys against Dorian Finney-Smith. And he finished. And I was like, where has this guy been? This is the guy I need to see. That's my only reason for concern. I've seen a lot of the blueprint thing is really interesting. Because, yes, the whole league is watching this and thinking, is this how we can is this a way we can beat the Sixers? I actually, and, and I've seen a lot of commentary about how after they shot the hell out of it in game one, their half-court offense has been subpar by the numbers. By the numbers, it has been, okay? But here here are the numbers that I actually care about. Even if you just isolate games two and three, so throw out game one where they shot, like they made like 23s or something. With Embiid on the floor, and that's what we're talking about. That's the crux of the game plan. With Embiid on the floor, they are plus 12 per 100 possessions in those yeah. two games with an offensive rating of 113 points per 100 possessions, which is good enough. That's about probably average in the regular season. It's not great, but I, I, I've watched the games, and I've thought the Sixers are doing what they should do against this scheme. Embiid is getting the ball out of his hands super early, 
and they're finding open shooters, and Maxi in particular, and Melton too, is driving the double team rotations. You don't have to shoot threes. The defense is scrambling. If you're fast like those guys, catch it, go get in the lane, and either get a layup, a floater, or kick to the next guy. I think the Sixers have been good enough out of double teams. The non-Embiid minutes offensively in those two games have been a disaster. Their offensive rating is like 84 points per 100 possessions. That's just life without Embiid and with Harden not making any twos. I think they're I think you are betting on an Embiid frustration factor by taking the ball out of his hands like that. Yeah. Um you're betting against the supporting cast making shots, which is fine. Like I think this is a, a blueprint you can use. I don't think even the Celtics are good enough defensively to use it for entire games because sure. I, I, to me they've picked it apart fine and I actually liked it Embiid is like I'm I'm not when he's forced it is when it's actually worked the best because he forces it, he drives into traffic, he turns it over. When he's just getting the ball out of his hands, they're getting good looks and I think you just have to keep I think you just have to keep doing that if you're Joel Embiid as frustrating as it is if teams do that. One more note is uh, with Embiid is if you look, I know one thing that's frustrating the Nets is the second chance points of the Philadelphia 76ers. I think it's 18 to four on average. They're killing them on the glass. And well, when it's you not play just, no big guys and you're one big guy you're playing, mean mugs his way out of the game, you're going to give up offensive boards. And Tobias deserves some credit and B-Ball Paul and uh, PJ Tucker. We talked about it already. But I, I think your headline, I don't want to move on without talking about it. James Harden inside the arc is less dangerous than ever. Uh, I think making him a driver is another part of this game plan. If he doesn't have that step back three, this dude is is a pretty limited scorer. He can't finish in traffic anymore. That's not happening. And I think you were right to call that out. And again, I come back to round two. Um, now it's Marcus Smart. Now it's, it's Malcolm Brogdon. Now it's Derek White out there. <laughs> Uh, it's not going to get easier for James Harden, uh, assuming we're going to get the second round matchup. I think you and I both want to see. Well, the Hawks are going to have something to say about it, Kirk. Let's not let's not be. No, oh, you killed them, man. Not me. Jeez, NBA TV stuff. The um, Trey Young defense. So, so slander. you 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 mentioned slander. Doesn't yeah, slander just... have to be false or something? What's the legal definition <laughs> of slander? Um, That's like the Dominion voting system. Oh, stop! 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 Um, <laughs> Harden as a driver is really interesting because if you watch Celtics Sixers film, the Celtics have th- now we haven't seen a whole lot of Harden and Embiid pick and roll in this series because it's been unnecessary. It's, Just throw the yeah. ball to Embiid and get a double team. And in fact, I like if I'm a Sixers coach and I'm thinking about this, I like when they forego any sort of screening action. Just throw the ball to Embiid with Claxton on him, and that way the double teamer is a smaller guy. If I get a switch before. It opens up the possibility that Claxton becomes the double teamer and he's bigger and gets in the passing lanes a little bit more. But we haven't seen the Harden and Bead pick and roll. And if you watch Boston Philly, they'll throw about 10 different looks at that, the Celtics will. Yeah. And the defining goal of all of those looks, whether it's switching, scram switching, rotating, helping, you know, crashing the paint, is we are not giving Joel Embiid open 12 foot jumpers. We're just not giving him that shot. That's plant that's like rule number one. You're not getting that shot. Sometimes you will because you're amazing and Harden's amazing, but we're just not letting you feast on that. And part of that strategy is giving James Harden a little bit more room to drive than you ever would have given prime James Harden. Bringing the help rotation at the rim a little bit later 
a second later than you would have five years ago to see if he kind of takes the bait and goes for it instead of pass, instead of having the pocket pass available for Embiid. So Embiid's guy will stay a little closer to home, let Harden drive, and see if he can finish over help late. I think that's going to be an interesting cat and mouse game. But yeah, Philly's been fine. I just If this is what Harden is, I don't think they can beat Boston and Milwaukee, assuming Milwaukee advances in back-to-back series. Yeah, it's it's a tough road, and then you got to wonder about the long term vision of the of the team. Um, but I love. I just want to say a quick note about Joel Embiid and his his live action free throws that have helped him get to uh, the scoring title. It's one of my favorite little quirks of 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 his game. It's just that face up and how he is. It's it's. But you're right. I I haven't charted that, but I should. It's like how many of those does he normally get in a game? He shoots twenty times a game. I'm guessing six or seven of them come from that sort of free throw area. But with the doubles there, he's not even getting that look. Uh, real quick on the Nets. Nice recovery on the Durant trade. Yeah, Mikhail Bridges sure. has been fantastic. I think the number one option has kind of worn on him a little bit. His efficiency has wavered up and down. A great first game, second game pretty good. 9 of 26 in game three, I think. Cam Johnson's been awesome. A lot of their best offense in this series has been running Cam Johnson off screens because P.J. Tucker's been on him, and P.J. can't really keep up that well with a quick, quick shooter like Cam Johnson. They have uh, several of their picks are out the door via the Harden trade, the, what, two, 2.0, I guess. But they have picks coming in the door from Phoenix, Dallas, and Philadelphia. And there's been a lot of, like, what should the Nets do? They have these interesting pieces. They got a bunch of long wings. Mikhail Bridges' trade value will never get higher. A bunch of teams, a couple teams offered like mega packages for Mikhail Bridges. Would the Nets tear it down further? I don't know what they're going to do. My guess would actually be no. And the only way they would trade Mikhail Bridges or the, the most likely way they would ever trade Mikhail Bridges is in a package for a superstar if that's right. what it took. I think the Nets are more likely to, to try to be competitive and that will probably take the form of keeping Mikhail Bridges and sort of the attitude of, hey, look, we don't have to really tear down. We don't want to. We did that already. It's unpleasant. We have an okay team. Let's try to be a little better than okay next year. We have all these picks from other teams. We're kind of wagering against their futures long term. I, I would I would anticipate the Nets just sort of stay the course-ish unless a big opportunity presents itself i'll go one step further i just told somebody around that team that i love their team building situation they have all the contemporary types of role players that make uh the modern nba what it is claxton has emerged as this prototype uh front court player and then all the three and d wings you would want and if i'm a disgruntled superstar somewhere in the uh, national basketball association let's say i'm a good playmaker uh dude yeah Imagine playing in New York City. I got three-point shooters. I got rim protection. Um, I love where they are. And I, I'm glad you said that. And that's exactly sort of what I was saying to them. It's like, and you have enough assets, a pretty good war chest to get something back in return if somebody does ask out. Uh, so I, I actually like their pieces. I think Mikhail Bridges could, ceiling-wise, be like a Chris Middleton player. Give me, uh, give totally me agree. my totally second agree. option on a championship team. I think he's, he's going to be an all-star. Yeah, I love him, and everybody loves him. It's not a hot take, but, dude, yeah, I think you're exactly right. Look where this team was at the trade deadline. It was a mess, and now I think they are set up to build something successful going forward. Now, they still need a guy guy. I don't think Mikhail Bridges is going to be the guy on a great right. team, but he can be 
probably a number two guy on a very good team. And that I and I agree with you. The Nets are sneakily well positioned to be a star hunting team. We don't think of them like that, even though they signed these stars in free agency and it all went kaput pretty fast. I, I think they're going to have their eyes and ears open for the ones who get it done. Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, ooh, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Let's pivot and go to Suns Clippers. Um, the Suns with a sometimes a little bit dicey uh, game three win. The headline, of course, is that Kawhi Leonard, your old friend from San Antonio, was oh. out of game three with a knee sprain. He will be listed as day-to-day going forward, according to Woj. Um, once again, I thought the Clippers put uh, – I thought the Clippers were massive underdogs with Kawhi Leonard and without Paul George. Anything can happen in one game, but I thought the Clippers are probably drawing almost totally dead without both of them. And to their credit – for the Clipper, the Clippers are minus fourteen for the series in three games, so like minus four point seven five five a game. With PG playing zero of the games and Kawhi playing two of them, I think their effort is to be applauded. I think they've been really good. Their physicality is clearly bothering Durant, although it also resulted in forty six free throw attempts last night. Um, and they've been in all these games and crap. I mean, they were like a Bones Highland in and out three from having a shot to at least play the foul game reasonably last night. By the way, Bones Highland. Tip of the cap to Bones Highland for just being like, yeah, I'm only playing really because of injuries. Give me the ball. Where's Chris Paul? Where's the point guard? Bring him to me. I want the point guard one-on-one. Do you know who I am? I am Nation Bones Highland. You're 37. Get over here and guard me. And Chris Paul, God bless him, stood his ass up two times in a row and let him hear about it. What great theater, Bone Silent. Thank you for the entertainment. Could not be happier with how the Clippers have played despite the fact that they're down 2-1. to one. My question for you is, we're now, what, 11 games into the Durant era in Phoenix. Um, this series has been just a, a, a mid-range jump shooting exhibition with some offensive rebounding thrown in in game three. Um, how has this looked to you? They were my pick to make the finals out of the West before the playoffs, just almost kind of by default. Um, and Denver has looked really, really good through the first two games. We're not going to talk about them today. Nuggets fans, because they played tonight. There's no point in talking about a series that is going to happen in like eight hours. What is your temperature take on the Suns? I call them the Maricopa Midrangers, and I hope we can get that to stick. The Midrangers of Maricopa County. Uh, but I do think that's the signature thing. There's two signature things. I'll start with their shot selection because it is so old school and it, it, it's awesome because it's unique. 
they made 25 two-point jumpers in game two, the most by any team, regular season or playoffs since 2015. Uh, that's a lot, and it's, it's classic that they did that. Uh, it's also the most made two-point jumpers in a playoff game. Um, but that was because of the Zubach drop stuff that it's gotten a lot of airtime. I don't, I don't want to dwell on that too much. The other big signature thing though, when I'm looking, one of my two headlines about the Suns, obviously the shot selection thing, the bench is so thin, dude, and they are so fragile. Well, you call it, you had a better word on your podcast the other day, vulnerable to injury. Uh, I worry about what's happening you know, I think last time I was on your show, we talked about who the fifth person on the Suns team was. That's Tory Craig. Yep. We, we, we've seen that. Okay, Zach. So my question is sixth, seventh, and eight guys. They haven't been great. Akoji, Shamit, Biombo. Uh, they're losing those minutes in the series. Uh, and, and that's, I guess, the second big headline. And we knew this when they made the trade. Is this team deep enough to do this? Uh, so far, if there's a red flag right now, it is that. It is the depth. The shot selection, I think they can survive it. You know why? Because Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul break the math, the, the conventional analytical dogma that you can't do. Well, when you're Kevin Durant, you shoot 58% from the mid-range, that dogma goes out the window. Uh, and, and and Devin Booker looks like the best player on the team right now, and Kevin Durant's on it. These shots Devin Booker is making. Oh. I mean, there's been some rainbow jumpers. There was the one falling out of bounds in the right corner. Last night with the shot clock winding down, his shot, he is, I've said it before, that dude is just a killer, an absolute killer. And you know what I loved about it last night is his jumper wasn't going in. He shot 11 times in the first quarter, and his jumper wasn't going in early. And the dude, to your point, you know what? I'm just going to go to the rack. I'm just going to go to the rack, and I'll beat him there. And he got his rhythm going there, and the next thing you know, he has another 40-something point uh, night. But he looks like the best scorer in the series, and again, Kevin Durant's teammate. Damian Lee was interesting last night because someone is going to earn the semi-permanent trust of Monty Williams, and nobody has. A Kogi might be the closest of those guys other than Craig. Damian Lee can shoot. At least I know Damian Lee can yeah. shoot, and he tries on defense. He's given up on Terrence Ross. He's given up on TJ Warren for now. They could really use campaign back. I mean, that's how dire this is, although yeah. Booker playing backup point guard is totally fine. Um I don't know what to make of Phoenix because, on the one hand, they keep winning. They're ten and one with Durant. <laughs> um, their offensive rating for this series is 120, which would have been number one in the league. Their big four, which is the three stars and Aiton, is plus 23 in 78 minutes in this series and has been utterly dominant by the numbers whenever they're on the floor, and yet. And yet, forget the, the depth is one thing. And, like, I don't care if you want to be blind to, like, these dudes are playing 45, 43, 40 minutes every single game. That is going to take a toll. This is – this is to win the championship, you're at 100-something games. Like, 100 games. It's going to take a toll. Well, if you, if you play all 82, which nobody does. <laughs> Not um, these teams. Whatever. You're at a lot of games. And, like, some of the, like Durant's 34 and Paul's 37 right. and he gets injured in the playoffs every year. The minutes matter. Monty Williams said after the game, I don't know if you saw the quote, kind of half-joking that KD is an expensive decoy on their team. Did you did you see that? I didn't see it, but that's a great line. It honestly is starting to worry me a little bit how just station to station and slow the Suns' offense is. I was – I think I – 
my whole thing with Durant is he's the most fittable, malleable superstar in the history of the league. And being a decoy, quote unquote, is part of that. I underestimated the growing pains of chemistry that they would have. It just doesn't look good, but the results are gangbusters. And so I don't quite know what to think. There were a couple of plays last night that I wish they would dial into a little bit more where on one of them, I think Durant came up from the right corner, ran around a pin down from Booker. So the two stars are already cooperating in a high-speed play and then took a handoff from Aiton. So it's like bang, bang, staggered screen, handoff, double team on Durant, Aiton slipped, floater, boom. Later in the game, same kind of concept, Booker from the left corner, comes off a Chris Paul screen into, I think, a Biombo handoff. And Booker got a switch with Mason Plumley, drove, beat him, floater. Like, just get, give me a little more juice, a little bit more like KD screening for Paul over here, Booker over here. Just to, It just needs a little more juice. And I think Durant will be less of a decoy. And, like, I don't think Kevin Durant wants to sit there being a decoy. I think he wants to be a little more involved probably than, than he has been. Um the chemistry issues are just it's it's been a little there was a play I think it was in the first quarter like seven and a half minutes ago where Booker and Aiton ran a side pick and roll right side no one was on their side of the floor so the empty side pick and roll they came up pretty aggressively doubling Booker Aiton was wide open on the roll 100 times out of 100 Devin Booker's job is to hit DeAndre Aiton for a dunk or the defense collapses whatever he just he looked at DeAndre and was like, I don't know. He swung it to Chris Paul on the weak side. Chris Paul caught it and, like, looked at Aiton. was like, I can't go there. Durant's sitting there in the right corner, like, freaking P.J. Tucker, but awesome. And Chris Paul looks over to him, kind of half passes. Durant's not ready for it. Torrey Craig is between them, and Chris Paul passes the ball to Torrey Craig instead. It, but problem, Torrey Craig is cutting back door, and the ball goes out of bounds. It's like, does this – there's just – it's not there yet, but the scary part oh. is there are little signs here and there that it could get there, and they just keep winning. So I don't know what to think, man. I don't know what to think. I'd say just like the the Philly series. I mean, especially since Kawhi is is missing time, and and I hope he's back because you know I love watching him and Kevin play against each other. Obviously, everybody does. This is always going to be about the, the Nuggets series, assuming they get past this. Like, But we talked about this last time, and we were talking about our doubts about the Suns. And I think I called it a science experiment. I wish I would have come up with a chemistry experiment. Uh, but it, it's not there. They're not fully formed. They've played barely any time together, and now they're going to go try to win a championship. And not many teams have been able to ever do that in this league. Uh, I think the biggest thing to watch is you have Chris Paul and Kevin Durant. I'll give a pass to the Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton because they're in their 20s, playing 40-plus minutes. And, and it's one thing in the first round when these games are spread out, although this series they haven't really been. Uh, but you know, once we get to the Western Conference Finals, they're playing every other night in these insanely intense games. I mean, if I told you, like, what are the odds that they both get through something like that? Um, unfortunately, it's, it's not 100%. Um, and I think that's another fair concern with this team. It's the familiarity and it's the durability. Are they built for war, quote, unquote, as these games get more intense and more dense on the calendar? Credit to Norm Powell, who had 42 on incredible shooting. Credit to Russ, who made shots, made threes. Also, I thought he was going to take Zubas's head off with the ball on some turnovers, but that's neither here nor there. Where's this defense been from Westbrook over the last five Dude, years? I 
the word I keep using for him is fury. He is playing with such a fury. Like and I, walking I, to the locker room with fury. This I, guy doesn't. He's, he's using it on fans. He's he's kicking people out. He's yelling at guys. His kids are eating popcorn. I don't know if it's Durant being on the other team. I don't know if it's like everyone doubted me and this Clippers team took a chance on me and I'm going to just go all out. Like the fury is just leaping off the screen. I I mean, they are, the refs are letting them play and they're beating the hell out of the Suns. And the Suns are learning to live with it and getting to the line and countering it. But like the physicality, Gordon, Russ, they're pushing Durant's touches like far out on the floor up and under him, bumping him. Like it's, it's, it's rugged out there. I didn't see how many he had last night, but one of the quintessential sort of views in my head of Westbrook in the series is fighting over a screen, coming back to one of these mid-range shooters and blocking their shot or disturbing their shot from behind which is, is saving them because the drop coverage of their uh, Palmley or Zubac is just out of position to, to contest one of these Illuminati mid-range dudes. Uh, but yeah, dude, I, I I can't, I love watching Westbrook. People think I hate Westbrook because of the numbers and all that, but no, I love him. He's my, one of my favorite players to watch in person because the fury uh, it's, he's just jumps off the, the screen in a way that no other player does. And Norman Powell, we have to say like, geez, did they, did they just waste the great Norman Powell performance? I mean, this dude was on fire too. And the Clippers, I would say, it's just sad, Zach, because when you look at – it is what it is, but it seems like it's just the same old soup just reheated. Uh, we discussed this team uh, in March on that same playoff preview stars podcast we did on the West. And in the oceans of numbers available to both of us, we both zeroed on the same thing. Why should we believe in the Clippers? Well, if you look at the numbers when – Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are on the court. They can beat anyone, and the numbers back it up. Well, here we are again, and neither of them are available. Um, and you just hope that they can get one or both of them back because this series is not over. If Kawhi's no, playing in game no, four, absolutely not. Dude, yeah, I, I wouldn't be comfortable. I was a Suns fan. If Kawhi is playing game four, the series is, is I mean, maybe not a toss up because the Suns have home court advantage and Kevin Durant and Chris Paul and Devin Booker, but it's a series. I mean, Kawhi has been that good. In this, he's been the best player in the series oh, when sure. he's played. And uh, in game three, one one note for, for Suns haters is they had the four highest played players in game three, and they won by uh, five points. Um, and look, and if he can't come back, you saw the trickle-down effect. Marcus Morris gets back in the game, and the, and the Suns are going to go at him, hunt him down every time. Bones Highland, they're going to hunt him down every time. You start having to double team. And then the Clippers finally resort to playing five guards at the same time, which kind of threw – the Suns for a little bit of a loop. Um, if I, if they're if they do that again, step one to me is I'm putting Aiton on Russell Westbrook. Aiton was on Terrence Mann, and it was the same thing where like my big man is half in the corner, half in the lane, not sure what to do. It's the same thing with Gobert in the playoffs. I'm putting him on Russ. I'm saying like I centers guard Russ plenty. You guard Russ. Yeah. You stay involved in the play, um, and I don't think they'll be caught off guard by that again. But just a wild game um, down down to the very end. And you just hope Kawhi plays. Um, Did right. you go? Or no, you were watching on TV. Watching on TV. Um, okay. Watching on TV. Uh, Lakers-Grizzlies resumes tomorrow at the crypto.com blah blah in uh, LA. It's 1-1 after the Grizzlies without John Moran, without Steven Adams, without Brandon Clark, and with big body David Roddy and Xavier Tillman won game two. I thought it was like an incredibly disappointing effort from the Lakers. I thought their offense was just 
And credit to the Grizzlies, obviously, for their defense, but I thought the Lakers were totally unfocused. Um, LeBron was just not in predatory mode. Like you can't, LeBron letting Luke Kennard be on the floor is not really something I expected. They didn't attack those matchups. Similar to like when the Sixers fell apart in the third quarter against Brooklyn last night, it was like because Embiid wasn't touching the ball. Like, what are you doing? Just give Embiid the ball. It's like I, I just didn't think they had enough juice or urgency on offense, and the Grizzlies made them pay. Um, and now we come back to the crypt, and maybe Morant plays. Maybe he doesn't. Um, but the Lakers in game one, all the talk was, oh, my God, is this a finals team? And then they, they, can't, they can't win game two without Morant. And, you know, it reminds you that, yeah, the team's been very good since the trade deadline. They were also just kind of an okay team all year. What, what are you looking for in game three? Anthony Davis. You can't lose to Xavier Tillman on the glass, on the box score, uh, on effort. Uh, he's got to be better. I mean, he made 29% of his shots. It's one of his worst playoff shooting performances ever uh, in a game that he was probably not facing one of the best front courts and opponents that he's played in, and he's won a championship. I, I think, yeah, the LeBron era is, is, and I'm not the first person to say this, this is more about Anthony Davis, especially in a series with Jaron Jackson. Um, you, you gotta, you gotta show up on both ends of the court and forget Jaron Jackson. He couldn't even outplay Xavier Tillman. Well, defensively, uh, so, he's showed up every second of every game. AD has been sensational. Yeah. The shot blocking has been, has been his best feature. Uh, I think he's had at least five blocks in both games. Uh, but dude, it's, it's the same passive stuff. Like I know you have guard skills, but you have like the second best sort of scoring package in the paint besides maybe Giannis of any physical big. We've got, and that's what I want to see him do more. Get to the free throw line. Uh, he shot four three free throws in that game, and you're, again, Jaron Jackson is the walking personal foul, and it's tactically not, not so not so far. Not, like that's, that's a that's a that, big deal. And that was one of my things in my little preview for this series too. Zach was like, if if without Stephen Adams, without Brandon Clark, Jaron Jackson's fouls are always important, but they're extra important in this series. And you nailed it. So are Dylan Brooks's, and Dylan Brooks, Dylan Brooks did get in foul trouble um, in game two, and they and they survived it. They just finagled away, like more Kennard, who's poke, more Rodney. Who's, who's poking the bear better? Uh, you brought this up earlier. I'll ask you for your listeners. Uh, you, you mentioned Bones Highland sort of picking on the old school uh, Hall of Famer, Chris Paul, and now we got Dylan Brooks picking on LeBron James. Uh, is one of those superior in your mind? Who's trolling better from that? Dil- Dylan Brooks, and, it, and it's not close. Dylan Brooks has just has figured it all out. We led our television show on ESPN yesterday with Dylan Brooks. And Dylan Brooks is a nice player. But, like, this happens regularly. With, when the first 15 minutes of any national NBA show, it's Dylan Brooks wearing sunglasses indoors, wearing a shirt that's unbuttoned, Richard Jefferson style, down right to the middle just saying stuff like he's old yeah lebron's old man like we know he's not the same as he was in cleveland and miami you gotta say that out loud god bless you dylan brooks so he's figured it out and he you know what he backs it up like he is not afraid of anybody he will body you up from baseline to baseline he will get all up in your jersey he'll rough your ass up and if you score on him he doesn't care He's coming back to do it again next time, and he'll talk right in your face after you score on him. I, I, and on AD, one of the reasons I liked 
not liked, but I, one of the things I had, I thought the Grizzlies had going for them as a tool in this series was if Brooks is on LeBron, they can switch the LeBron AD pick and roll because AD can shoot over Dylan Brooks and he'll make some shots. He can't move Dylan Brooks very effectively. You can't you can't just bulldoze Dylan Brooks in the post. And that happened in game two. Dylan Brooks stood him up a couple times. And you want Anthony Davis to shoot jump shots. Sorry, Lakers fans. If I'm game planning against Anthony Davis, it's sort of like Russell Westbrook. Anytime or Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, there's many all-star players I would say this about. If this guy, if I'm game planning or if I'm a fan in the gym and I'm watching that guy rise up for a 16-footer, that's a good moment. I don't care if it goes in or not because I know the numbers are on my side and that's much better than them going toward the basketball hoop. But yeah, that's a great point about Brooks. One thing I'd say in our context about growing analytics, do the Lakers, are they able to bait him? Another great skill of, of veteran players is to, to, to use that sort of mania against the younger player. We talked earlier how there is a clay moment coming in this Kings series. I Dylan has, has crossed the line many times himself. I wonder if there's going to be a moment where where the Lakers use. Well, you this got you got GP two airborne them. last year in the playoffs, yeah. and the Warriors said straight up, "This is a dirty play." And didn't he have a groin analytics? I don't. Doesn't know, he have man. a groin analytics episode? I, I feel like the late the Grizzlies and the Suns are staying at my same hotel or in the same hotel complex right now as me, and I feel like I need to wear a cup. Just navigating <laughs> my way to the studio, just in case I come across Dylan Brooks or Chris, Chris Paul, Paul. Yeah. or someone's just gonna be oh, there's that guy from ESPN. Bam, and I'm on the ground. <laughs> Flagrant two. Stay out of the hotel lobby. Where's Monty McCutcheon? <laughs> um, Lakers, Lakers, Lakers. Um, I was just so disappointed with how blah their effort was in game two. Uh, as far as Anthony Davis, yes, he needs to score more. Here's the reality. With Anthony Davis on the floor through two games, they're plus 23, plus 15 oh, wow. points per 100 possessions. With Anthony Davis off the floor, they're minus 17 and getting killed on both ends of the floor. And those are little minutes yeah. that I'm just interested to see how they handle because they're they're for most of the first two games, they've just played LeBron at center or Hachimura at center, super small lineups, whatever one you prefer as the quote-unquote center. And... You can see the Grizzlies like, all right, we'll just kind of match up hunt and then we'll drive to the rim because we don't think you have any rim protection. And they've scored pretty well in, in those minutes. And in game two, they tried Vanderbilt at center instead of just they had LeBron, Hachimura, and Vanderbilt all out there together. I, I, I don't feel like it's a great adjustment, but I do wonder if Wenyan Gabriel or even Mo Bamba might make like a cameo appearance in some of these minutes. Um but because those minutes have been been a problem um, for for the Lakers, I was just how many minutes has has, has AD been off? That was a huge number you just cited. It's only it's only twenty something. I think he played seventy five minutes. minutes in two games or something like that. Yeah. And they getting absolutely torched. Yeah, so that's a good point. I, I think I agree. Like he defensively has been there, um, and their offensive rating is terrible in those twenty two minutes too. But yeah, I guess that's one of the weaknesses of this Lakers team is the backup big spot because they they don't really have a good option. Um, and the, the back the backup point guard for Memphis is quite good, Tyus Jones. We all know that. The backup to the backup is always the issue, and that was Desmond Bain, and he point Bain managed pretty well um, in in game two. The Lakers started blitzing him more as the game went on and saying, "Okay, Xavier Tillman beat us. Jaron Jackson beat us as a playmaker." 
whoever will or will funnel shots to Santi Aldama, who looks a little overwhelmed by the moment, and big body Roddy, and Dylan Brooks especially, we're daring you to shoot. And what did Dylan you Brooks, pick in this series? Grizz and seven. Um, Grizz and seven. Didn't feel great about it after game one, obviously, with Ja getting hurt and, and all yeah. that. <laughs> And I didn't feel great about it to begin with. I, I said if I had, if they had had just one of Adams and Clark, I probably would have even gone maybe Grizzlies in six. Um, yeah, but the Lakers are really good. But Adams is again like I you know we talked about this, but the Adams injury is showing up here. I think the only team with more second chance points than the Sixers, who are absolutely blasting the Nets on the glass, is the Lakers. And to me, that has nothing to do with Jaron Jackson or or or. or um, Tillman, this is Steven Adams not being out there. He, he is that guy. He is the the consummate rebounder of, of contemporary basketball. So I think that's right. I would have picked the Grizzlies in, in five or six games if they were whole because this was one of the best teams in the league. Um, but without Clark and, and Adams, they're no longer that beast, especially in the front court. Yeah, people think the Memphis Grizzlies are a good offensive rebounding team. They're not. Steven Adams is a great <laughs> offensive rebounder. He is a one-man offensive rebounding team, and that dimension kind of disappears. I think Jaron Jackson's been great the whole series. is just everywhere. Okay, that's it, Lakers, Grizz. Real quick, um, the Raptors, after m- being mum, mum for a couple weeks since, or a week, I don't know, I've lost all track of time, since their elimination at the hands of the Bulls uh, in the play-in tournament, Maybe the most disappointing team in the entire league this year for me um, have fired Nick Nurse. And you got to, you know, I don't want to say it takes cojones, as Tim McMahon would say, for Masai Ujiri to do that because I, I think, you know, I, I think Nick Nurse is likely to get hired in this hiring cycle and there's probably a, a degree of amicability in this in this split. I mean, I've never seen a coach do what Nick Nurse did in the middle of a high-stakes part of the season and basically announce to the world, I might leave. Just FYI, we got like three games left. We're just fighting for our lives. I also might not coach the team next year. Um, but Masai Ujiri is now fired a coach of the year and the coach who won the only championship in franchise history. And Ime Udoka is reportedly a candidate for the Raptors job, a leading candidate perhaps. Um, Nick Nurse is a fantastic tactical coach. I mean, it, it it's there's no question about that. Nick Nurse is a really good coach. This just felt all season to me like the whole thing had run its course. The the style of play, let's get all these 6A dudes and switch and have not enough shooting and not enough rim protection until we get Pirtle. It, it, it had gotten stale. The offense was just so stuck in the mud because they just had too many of the same guy, the burrowing, dribbling, half-spinning, big forward tweener guy. And there just wasn't enough room for all those guys to be on the floor at once. And it just... You just heard enough rumblings that things were just too, too, I don't know what the right word is, not tense, just unsettled there. And it just, I think it was just time. Now we have to see who they, who they replace them with. And they have major decisions with, you know, Fred Van Vliet's a free agent. Gary Trent Jr. can be a free agent. Jakob Pertl, they'll probably resign him having just traded for him, but he can be a free agent. Pascal Siakam. If he makes All NBA, which I think is unlikely, would be up for a supermax, I think. But he might be up for an extension anyway, and an Obi extension. I don't think this team's going to look the same next year. I think there will be at least one sizable personnel change in the rotation. I don't think there's going to be a full scale like rebuild. Um, there's not a lot of evidence that the Raptors have an appetite 
for that as an organization. The one time they did kind of go for the tank was just this incredible confluence of circumstances where they weren't even playing at home and they had just all the incentive in the world to pull the plug in Tampa. I don't know. What was your reaction to this? Were you surprised or was this a foregone conclusion in your mind after that press conference? I mean, nobody was surprised, right? If you're in our business, you've been hearing about this rumor for months, like you said, and there's even a rumored destination out there. And it's It's been just one of those things that's been in the ether. I wasn't surprised. I mean, it is noteworthy. Uh, that after Casey, now Nurse, that Messiah has moved on from two Coach of the Years uh, and now the coach that won them a title not that long ago. Um, and Four demonstrated, years ago, it's, it's, it's really not long ago. You don't see de- this that often. Yeah, demonstrated, like you said, he's one of the most innovative coaches of the modern game with X's and O's and, and sort of brought back zone concepts that we hadn't seen uh, at this level in a long time and, and made them work on big stages. Um He's not going to be unemployed for long. That's my note. I do think that one of the things you said is also a big thing here. It it, it might have been a separation that both parties were sort of looking forward to. I don't know that, but that that's that's something I'm reading into a little bit. Um, and you know, just like when they hired Nick Nurse, Adrian Griffin sitting there in Toronto, and 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 there's smoke around Ime Adoka, and and you know, it it seems like there's no shortage of candidates. For that job either it's a strange situation it just didn't the team just didn't work this year just didn't and, work. and the other thing i'd say zach is like toronto is not in a vacuum they're in the eastern conference breaking news but the, the eastern conference is not exactly easy right now and, and coming out of the east if you're looking forward in the next three years you know you got to think milwaukee and boston are going to be there and cleveland looks built to last and somebody like philadelphia could be there for a while and uh, even the Knicks, it's not easy. And what they're looking at with this current group, it's hard to picture them getting back to the top of the mountain uh, without well, some changes. A lot of a lot of a lot of the offseason will depend on the playoffs, right? A lot of the offseason for some of these teams will depend on how they play in the playoffs. The whole thing could look a little more muddled in a month or two. Um, and you're right; there is an argument for. There is a very coherent argument for. Let's just see what we can get for Ananobi. See what we can get for Siakam. Maybe we keep Ananobi because he's younger, whatever, um, and build this thing around Scotty Barnes and you know whoever else we draft this year. And with a, wait, no, they don't have no. They traded a 2024 pick, I think, top six protected um, for Pirtle, and wait out the Milwaukee, Boston, Philly triumvirate and try to rise again when they're falling. There's some logic to that. But again, like they had that same dilemma during the height of the Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, Serge Ibaka, et cetera, era. Um, And they never tore it down. They kept going for it and going for it and going for it. And they lucked into a Kawhi supernova season and trade. And so I I think this team values, at least to me when I've talked to them, they value being relevant and decent and good and taking shots at it. I would be a little surprised if they went just the full-on rebuild around Scotty, go to the bottom route. Uh, but, you know, look, anything's possible, I guess. I mean, there is a lot. There is a certain logic to it. Yeah, and Nick, to his credit, will be a candidate uh, all over the league, every every team with an opening. And one of the more interesting things I have my eyes on in the next couple of weeks, and I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, is there's going to be some very disappointed teams and yep. owners uh, as there always are in the playoffs, but you're looking at teams like the the Clippers, the Suns, the Sixers. Not all these teams are going to the conference finals. 
uh, and heat. all of them. The How heat, about the yeah. heat? They all have we big time expectations. We haven't talked about Milwaukee, Miami, because it's just been you just don't know what to take away from any of this, right? Like Giannis plays 11 minutes. He goes out the heat win. hero breaks his hand. The bucks make 9 million threes in game yeah, two. Yeah. They win. You just, you're kind of waiting for the series to settle into like, okay, this is, these are the guys who are actually going to play. This is the series. This is how it's going to look. But I mean, Windhorse has talked about this. The heat are absolutely a team to watch in the off season. And I don't even know what direction that could, that could go in any number of directions, depending on how this plays out. Um, but they're going to, they're always aggressive. You know, they're aggressive. You know, they're going to be in the conversation for any star to put alongside Jimmy Butler and probably Bam. Um, but what if they went, the, what if they went the other way? I don't think they would, but we'll see, we'll see how this, we'll see how the series goes. What's the other way? I didn't pick up on that. The other way is like, what could we get for Jimmy Butler? Oh yeah. No, I think all options are on the table again. I, I keep thinking. And to be clear, I don't think Miami is going to do that, even if they just get rolled right. in the next three games. That's not how they operate. Spo even said before game two, Jimmy is us. We are him. We're a perfect fit. We like to fight and yell at each other and get angry and blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying. I'm just I saying. Know. And I'm just I'm going to make that vacuum point again because the East is the new West. That's one of the sort of macroscopic trends of the last couple of years is – when we were doing this 10 years ago, it seemed like the Western Conference had six of the best eight teams. Remember, we'd look at the seven and eight scenes in the and the Eastern Conference playoffs and be like, who are they? Why are they even why do I have to watch these teams on NBA TV? It seems like the top of the East is the cream of the crop now. Uh and and from a team building perspective, that's Miami, Toronto, same point. You've got to get past these dudes now. This this built to last Celtics group, this built to last Bucks group. Again, I don't need to go over the six or all this. Miami currently doesn't look like one of those teams. All right. Well, we'll see what happens with them over the weekend. Let's just I wish Tyler here were healthy. I wish Giannis were healthy. I wish we could actually just see the series. That feels like just such a whatever is going on there series. Kirk Goldsberry, thank you for joining us on the Low Post podcast. Uh, enjoy another weekend frenzy of postseason NBA basketball. And before you know it, we'll be in the second round and we'll have some heavyweight clashes to talk about. Thank you, sir. Anytime, my dude. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.